Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. Free the refugees! Let Abiyan stay! Let Abiyan stay! Permanent resettlement! Stop offshore processing! On November the 4th, Friends, Families and Feminists Against Detention, or FAD, staged an action at the Department of Immigration and Border Protection in Melbourne to protest Australia's continued detention of asylum seekers. This episode of Women on the Line will cover the FAD action, hear from Hanan Marouf from Syrians for Freedom on the Australian government's hypocritical treatment of refugees, and speak with Amy Frew, a lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre, to discuss a current High Court legal challenge against detention on Nauru. Listeners should be aware that this episode of Women on the Line contains discussion of sexual violence. Over the last few days, listeners may have seen the images on social media of members of FAD and their children undertaking civil disobedience by entering the Department of Immigration and Border Protection and staging a pram jam, spreading out picnic blankets with toys, banners and protest signs and using prams to block access to the building's lifts in order to draw attention to Australia's continued mistreatment of asylum seekers in detention and inspired especially by the treatment of Abiyan, a young woman who has recently been returned once again to Australia from Nauru to receive medical treatment after experiencing sexual violence. On the evening of November the 4th, Women on the Line spoke to Caroline from FAD about the action that had taken place that day. So today I think about um, 50 of us, including maybe about 15 or more kids and babies, um, ranging from four months to to about five years old, um, staged a pram jam at the Department of Immigration and Border Protection. So previously we've um, staged gatherings um, at DIBP um, but this time we wanted to attract a bit more attention to the issue because we felt like that the issue required it required a lot more urgency. So um, we had collected, um, as well as, you know, within our possession, had a lot of prams and we went to DIBP and um, sat between the um, elevators, the corridors where the elevators were, and... Um, put prams in the elevators and made the building security um, contact the police so we could chat with them. Mm. So, yeah, just a, I guess our, what, we were, what we were trying to achieve was um, uh, some civil disobedience around the refugee issue and using the civil disobedience as a way to talk more broadly with the movement about the need for it. Um, as well as um, our demands, which were that Abiyan be allowed to stay, be given permanent resettlement in Australia with her family, um, that all sexual violence uh, end against refugees, and that um, the that offshore processing comes to an end. After um, after the police were called, what what happened then? 
so um, a decision was made by the group that um, that they would be walked or dragged out by police according to um, their own desire. And, um, yeah, so I think we wanted to make a point that we were not cooperating and that, that we wanted to make clear that these were important demands that we wanted to struggle and and fight for and um so yeah many um many people chose to walk out with police i was one of them um some people went limp and were carried out by police Mm. um and yeah others walked out by their own Women on the Line was also able to speak briefly with Gabrielle from FAD during the action. Yeah, so there are sort of, we've, we've got um, lot people and their families are here and we're using prams to, to block access to the lifts. Yeah. Yeah, so. so we're using prams to block access to the lifts um, and compared to the last two times this is um, a, a bit more of a um, tense situation. Last time when we were here, we just made a picnic out the in the foyer and weren't obstructing anyone's way. But we really think that this um, issue is is so important. We'd like to get um, uh, more of a reaction from the Department of Border Protection, more of a reaction from police, more of a reaction from the media, and more of a reaction from the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've decided to block the lifts and block access, um, so that. So, so that it, it creates more of a reaction. It's an appropriate response to the horrors that are being committed in Nauru and Manus Island. Yeah, absolutely. In light of the changing conditions of detention, Caroline also provided some further background about friends, families and feminists against detention. We formed initially as a response to the women um, and movements that were openly resisting in Nauru when there was a ban for... Um, for coming out publicly on the island, um, including jail terms for refugees being being able to protest. And those um, demonstrations were severely cracked down. There was um, hundreds of um, women um, and other asylum seekers that were put in um, jail without any charges. And um, we wanted to respond to that really powerful act. And so our first action was essentially a message of solidarity to women, families and, and other and children and other people in Nauru. So, um, yeah, since then I guess we had a, a specific focus around the experience of women um, and families in detention. So... You know, when Nauru wasn't an open-air prison, um, some of the reports that were coming out were that um, women were having to barter for um, for access to showers um, because there's water curfews on, on the whole of Nauru. So to be able to access showers, um, they were having to, you know, show parts of their body or things like that or mm. do sexual favours for guards, um, as well as you know, incredulously weren't being given menstrual pads because they were considered a fire hazard. Um, And so women were walking around the camp just bleeding, um, you know, and like with one, a lot of those kids having like one one set of clothes, you know. Um, So, yeah, and and on top of things like, you know, the, the 
blatant sexual abuse and um, sexual assault that we know was happening in the detention centre and is continuing to happen all across the island because the island's only 20, 20 kilometres wide. You can It takes you no more than four hours to walk the entire circumference of the island. So I, th- I don't think people realise that it does. It actually matters nothing that the that the prison is open now because people are living in the community side by side with their perpetrators in villi- in in you know these um, resettlement villages which have doors which don't lock uh, and men coming and visiting them at night time. Women wearing jeans to sleep so that it's harder for men to rape them. Like the culture of rape in in Nauru is you know so obvious you know, countless UN reports and, and MOSH reviews which clearly document a culture of sexual violence for particularly for refugees on Nauru. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were responding to the conditions for refugees and, and their demands for, for resettlement in Australia and those are actually still our demands. We still we still demand that refugees on Nauru need to be resettled in Australia and that mandatory detention ends. Caroline highlighted the particular role that violence and its impact have on women in the current detention system. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to mention in terms of Abiyan, which I think is really fundamental to how we think about the rights of women in Australia, particularly women of colour, because I think the treatment of Abiyan and, and um, women refugees is actually a form of gendered racism that's going on in Nauru, and I think we need to be really clear about that. But the language around um, Abiyan not reporting to police, which seems to... which which the media, the uh, mainstream media, is framing in such a way as to, ju- to, to say that she's lying about um, having been raped. And that is also what is, you know, continuously being reiterated. Um, the reality for refugees reporting to police in Nauru, so there's a few points that seems to have been missed in this willing ignorance. So let's have a look at Nazanin. What did the police do? They put her in the back of the paddy wagon. Four hours later, they took her, not to the hospital, they took her to the police station. After that, they said... No, she wasn't sexually assaulted until 50 asylum seekers protested outside of the police department. Then they had to submit, yes, okay, there was sexual assault, but no one, not one single person has been charged for any of this, for any for any sexual crimes against refugees on Nauru. So I think we need to remember that. Despite, for instance, a convicted rapist um, who is allowed to, is actually working for the police reserves in Nauru. He's been hired. He's a convicted rape, rapist working in within the police. So we have the police also um, publishing the name and the personal details of people that are reporting abuse. So women reported the abuse to the police, um, which have, you know, over and routinely denied that any abuse is actually even happening on Nauru, despite documented reports... Um, they're saying, oh, this woman lied. The Nairun government releases her name, her um, graphic accounts of her body, mm-hmm. as well as the, the trauma that she suffered, to the media um, to shame her and to basically scare anyone else from reporting crimes. Then they say they're going to charge her 
for reporting a false crime in the first place. Now, what kind of woman in their right mind would want to report to the police mm. in that situation? Yeah. Who would want to report to the police? You know? Yep. So, I mean, FAD absolutely supports Abian in, in decisions that she's made. We absolutely support her. Oh, yeah, I'd like to add, if anyone wanted to um, be involved with the group and our organising activities, to please contact us via our email, which is ffadmelbourne at gmail.com or contact us through Facebook. If listeners want more information about Friends, Families and Feminists Against Detention, they can also visit facebook.com forward slash Melbourne FFFAD. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was... Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you a discussion of the current state of refugee issues in Australia. The day following the FAD action, the Refugee Action Collective held a forum on the global refugee crisis. The speakers included Hanan Marouf from Syrians for Freedom and what follows are extracts from her speech. For the past five years, people like you and I, have, with dreams and love for life, have been fleeing barrel bombs and chemical attacks to neighboring countries only to be put in miserable refugee camps. And when I say miserable, I mean life in, a feeb- in feeble tents through snowstorms in freezing winters and sandstorms in scorching summers with no clean water or any other basic necessities, no schools, no jobs and no future. And on top of all that, they are discriminated against and persecuted by the locals. It is not hard to understand that for most of these refugees, the only hope they see is to jump on a boat. Tony Abbott said, it's a very grave situation in the Middle East. It is important that there be a humanitarian response. I wonder what exactly the humanitarian response he was referring to, for I don't believe locking people up in detention centers is a great humanitarian response. Malcolm Turnbull said, we don't want to encourage asylum seekers to risk their lives at sea. Turnbull speaks as if those people are practicing their sailing hobby. They risk their lives, Mr. Turnbull, because they are actually trying to save them. I would love to know how long it would take Turnbull, Abbott, or Dutton to decide to, to, um, to make a perilous journey by sea if they were thrown in al Zatari camp in the middle of the Jordanian desert. Hanan highlighted the government's hypocrisy in its differing treatment of refugees. In Australian-run detention centres, there are Syrian asylum seekers that have been left to rot. And although they are a small number, but they have fled the same terror as the other 12,000 Syrians that the Australian government wants us to believe 
it is so concerned about. Why are there two class of refugees, identical groups fleeing the same atrocities, but with contradictory tra treatment by the Australian government? Most of those detainees have arrived to Australia's water soon after the Labour government announced in July 2013 that it would never resettle any person coming by, by using people smugglers. And they have been locked ever since. Those people with their limited English skills and resources have most likely never heard of the new law before they left Indonesia. And the disgrace doesn't stop there. But to his shame, Tony Abbott is trying now to spread his malicious and discriminatory spirit to those Euro European countries which showed some empathy towards the refugees, trying to convince them to shut their doors on them. Is that how you roll up your sleeves when you see a problem, Mr. Abbott? Is this the Australian way? I don't believe it's the Australian way to detain people and leave them to suffer both physically and mentally for no crime unless fleeing for your life is a crime. And it's never the Australian way to look up ch to lock up children for the same crime. Australian Australia is signatory of the Convention of Rights of the Children to Enjoy Childhood. Something surely the locked up children in Manus and Nauru are not able to do. And it's not the Australian way either to cover up the mistreatment in detention centers. By the Australian Border Force Act that was brought in effect last July, which really undermines our democracy, immigration detention center employees could face a prison term of up to two years for speaking out about conditions or treatment of those held inside detention centers. The government's pathetic excuse about refugees are always we don't want to risk refugees' life and we don't want to reward people smuggling. This once more raises legitimate questions. When you pay smugglers to turn a load a boatload of asylum seekers uh, back to Indonesia. Aren't you cold-bloodedly putting the life of refugees on boats at more risk? Aren't you rewarding the smugglers? Isn't that breaching to both Australian and international laws? If the almighty Australian government can break the law in this way and do shifty deeds like so, why does, does it blame the poor, desperate people for jumping, jumping the queue, a queue that is not accessible for them at the first place. In summary, the Australian government can afford to pay smugglers, send forces that cost billions of dollars to a country that's thousands of miles away from us, spend $1 billion a year on imprisoning of asylum seekers, but cannot afford to resettle desperate boat people that fled from war, a war which our government is, in, is directly or indirectly contributing to. No one is sheltered from disasters, whether they are natural or man-made, and refugees in crisis are always victims and have no liability whatsoever. 
We should treat them with respect and dignity. Women on the line. To try and gain a picture of the legal framework surrounding the Australian government's ongoing bipartisan commitment to offshore detention, Women on the Line spoke with Amy Frew, a lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre who has been working on a High Court challenge to offshore detention on Nauru. The challenge is being brought on behalf of over 240 people, which includes 60 children and 25 babies under one year old. Uh, these are some of the most vulnerable people um, who came to Australia seeking asylum and that we locked up on Nauru. Um, they were then brought to Australia for medical treatment, so the Australian government decided that they were too unwell to stay on Nauru. And the case primarily is seeking to prevent their return back to Nauru. So the hearing was um, on the 7th and 8th of October. It was a two-day hearing before the full court of the High Court in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, it has The case has taken a few twists and turns, though. So originally filed in May and at that stage, the case was seeking to um, say that the Australian government, or part of the case, I should say, was seeking to say that the Australian government didn't have the power to fund detention, um, using some arguments that uh, from the school chaplain's case. Um, and then shortly after that, the government changed the law to say they did have authority to pay for offshore detention. They brought some legislation in. Um And then two days before our hearing, the Nauruan government actually changed the law on Nauru to change the detention centre in Nauru from um, what you would traditionally understand as a detention centre to an open centre, which means that people can come and go as they please 24 hours a day. Um, They must reside in the centre and they get um, searched in and out, so they can't bring certain things in and out, but essentially this moved to an open centre arrangement. Women on the Line asked Amy about the Human Rights Law Centre's repeated statements that the environment on the Roo is not safe and especially harmful for women and children. Yeah, so that's certainly what uh, a lot of our clients are telling us, how unsafe they feel um, both within the detention centre and then um, outside the detention centre. So many of our clients left before any sort of form of open centre arrangements came in, but um, as we've seen in the media from a number of quite high-profile cases in the last few months, women who've um, either been resettled in, refu- uh, in Nauru as a refugee or have been out of the centre and sort of day excursions have suffered very serious assaults. And mm-hmm. our clients who have been in the centre, have um, a number of them were sexually assaulted by um, staff within the centre as well. Unfortunately... Um, in, in situations of um, sort of crisis or risk, women have particular vulnerabilities. Um, I think we can see that just from the high levels of sexual assault that have been reported out of Nauru. I think the other, um, and that's a particular concern for single women and women who don't have um, family support there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other issue for women, I think, is often they're the primary carers of small children and that just creates another risk and another stress for them seeing their child grow up um, in an um, environment where six families are sharing a, a big canvas tent with mould on the walls and they have to go inside, outside and sit under a tree in the shade uh, during the day because it's just too hot. Mm. Um, so I just think the facilities on Nauru are not conducive to the health and safety of women and also the health and safety of, of children. 
apart from the conditions um, on Nauru, I think the conditions in detention mean that um, a lot of mental health issues are, um, you know, increasingly cropping up with um, with mothers and with children, um, where children have been detained for two years of their life, which could be, you know, half or their entire lives and might never have been outside of detention. And for children to grow and develop um, healthily, that's not, um, that's not possible, and I think, under those circumstances. The implications of the current High Court challenge are complex. So I don't think this case will be the silver bullet um, ending offshore detention on, on Nauru or Manus. I think um, what's likely to happen is Australia will, um, will, depending on the outcome, Australia might change its policies. I mean, as we've seen, or as we've just spoken about, Nauru has now moved to an open centre, which means that uh, detention there is um, be very difficult. And it's a question for the court to decide whether detention still exists. Um, but I think what it doesn't move away from is the much broader question of Australia's responsibility to these people who came to Australia seeking asylum. They're some of the world's most vulnerable people and they deserve um, safety and um, our com- compassion and humane response and not to be uh, shuffled off to remote um, Pacific islands where there's no oversight and the Australian public can't see what's going on. Um, mm. and I think that's that's the central question: is is our responsibility to these people to keep them safe? A case raising similar issues regarding the legalities of detention on Manus Island is underway and has been adjourned pending the outcome of the Nauru High Court challenge. The timing of when the Nauru challenge will be handed down is not certain. Generally, High Court decisions take sort of between two to six months. It could it could be handed down sort of any day. Um, we anticipate probably towards the end of this year or early next year. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelineat at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.